Welcome back to Silicon Bytes. It's not long since we recorded our last episode, but so much is going on. Things are moving so quickly that we have more than enough material to fill out another episode. We have a number of articles from the Moscow Times and a huge breaking story relating to Wagner PMC chief Evgeny Prigozhin. Let's get started. The first article, Russia accuses Kiev of striking bridge linking Crimea to mainland Ukraine. For those who are impatient to see success in the Ukraine counteroffensive, this I think is a key strategic move, taking out one of the main bridges on the route towards Crimea. Russian installed authorities in occupied Ukraine accused Kiev of striking a bridge linking the annexed Crimean Peninsula to mainland Ukraine early on Thursday this week. There are various rumors circulating online, almost certainly stoked by propagandists, that Russia might have taken the bridge out in a strategic move, but it's highly likely that this was actually Ukraine, and it's part of their push down towards the south, putting pressure on the access points to Crimea as part of their eventual maximalist goals to retake all of their territory. Photos posted on Telegram showed a gaping hole in the surface of the bridge, there are also claims on both sides that the British-supplied Storm Shadow missiles played a key role in the strike, and it does seem the damage was extensive and extremely precise. It remains to be seen whether more attacks will follow this, but it's this story that's inspired the title of this episode, A Bridge to Nowhere. But that's also a metaphor for Russia's lack of strategic clarity in its war against Ukraine, and its desperation to achieve propaganda victories rather than real victories on the battlefield that have any strategic military value. And the next story absolutely highlights this. It's not exaggeration to say that this is a bombshell story that only emerged today, and it's another recording by Wagner Group founder Evgeny Prigozhin. Now, the fact that he's still alive suggests that he has powerful friends or else has not gone far enough to convince Putin that he needs to be eliminated. But the comments he recorded today in a half-hour rant may just change that situation. This story is breaking on a number of outlets, but the Moscow Times, as usual, has a good amount of detail on the story. Wagner chief says that Russia's invasion of Ukraine was unjustified. He doesn't just put that idea out there. He breaks it down in extraordinary detail, detail that not just criticizes the Ministry of Defense, but points the finger directly at the president of Russia for an ill-conceived and totally unfounded war of aggression. Prigozhin says, Russia did not face an imminent security threat to justify its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And further, in the bombshell video posted on social media today, he states clearly a number of things which actually Ukrainians and many of its Western allies could potentially agree with. The armed forces of Ukraine were not going to attack Russia with the NATO bloc, Prigozhin exclaimed in the half-hour rant. The Russian Ministry of Defense is deceiving the public and the president, he added. But he goes further. He says there were no grounds at all to start the war. And he also highlights some of the absolute chaos that has led to huge casualties on the Russian side. Prigozhin, using his usual colourful language, and we have to remember here that when we agree with certain things Prigozhin says, when we even laugh at some of the things he says, it also has to be recognised that he is a war criminal. He is responsible for the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands, of Ukrainians, including civilians, who were massacred on his orders in a way that completely contradicts 
any of the known rules of war, and if he was ever to be caught, would no doubt be indicted as a war criminal. But in this video rant, he's escalated his criticism of Russian Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu by claiming that Russia went to war for the self-promotion of a bunch of bastards. He blamed Russia's military leadership for poor planning and said the invasion was an embarrassment after setbacks on the battlefield last year. Shoigu and his decisions led to the deaths of thousands of the most combat-ready Russian soldiers in the first days of the war, he claimed. The mentally ill scumbags decided it's okay, we'll throw in a few thousand more Russian men as cannon fodder. They'll die under artillery fire, but we'll get what we want. That is why this has become a protracted war. He goes on to say that the incompetent decisions taken, the absolutely cavalier attitude to life, has led to 10 Russians dying when only one would have died to achieve the same objectives. He also claims, and this is a bit rich coming from him, that the Bakhmut offensive was utterly pointless and that both Russian leadership and the Ministry of Defence had absolutely no concern at all for the amount of lives they wasted to achieve simply trivial gains. Meters of territory, meters of territory that brought no advantage whatsoever except fodder for the propagandists. So what this outburst leads to is anyone's guess, but what is clear that the recent efforts by the Ministry of Defence to force conscripts of Wagner PMC to sign up via the Ministry of Defence to get contracts from the state rather than sign up directly with Prigozhin potentially signals the dismantling and relegation to irrelevancy of Wagner BMC. More stories than Moscow Times. They list a number of harrowing photos showing the cleanup efforts in southern Ukraine following the Kohovka Dam explosion. The catastrophic flooding covered swathes of southern Ukraine after the Kohovka Dam on the Dnipro River collapsed. Well, they've used the word collapsed here, but I think everyone now accepts, and the evidence is certainly starting to point towards Russia being the only possible culprit for this disastrous man-made ecocide. At least 58 people in Ukrainian-held territory have been killed by the flooding, but we don't really have accurate figures for how many have died in Russian-occupied areas. It may be that they're not even counting. But as you can see, the damage and destruction is horrific. As the waters have receded, it's showing an absolutely apocalyptic impact on the villages, towns, and people of the area affected. Well, we'll reproduce some of these images and, of course, you reference back to the Moscow Times, their source, and we encourage you to subscribe to their news feed to see more of the great reporting they do. And, of course, many of their journalists are still based in Russia, so they are taking an incredible risk for bringing this news to public attention. Out of all the stories we're going to cover in this episode, this is probably the most frightening, and the alarm has been raised by many Ukrainians this week as well as its supporters, including the journalist John Sweeney, who you will have seen interviewed on this channel recently. And that is the claim that Russia is preparing to engineer a massive radiation leak at the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Thursday that Moscow's forces were considering launching a terror attack at the Russian-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. 
It's been a recurring flashpoint of battles throughout the invasion, but it's widely believed that Russians have actually mined the facility. In addition, even though the plant is no longer actively producing electricity, it is said that they have kept one of the reactors online, and this could be a deeply suspicious act. It could indicate a certain level of premeditation to cause a disastrous ecological incident. Fears for Europe's biggest nuclear plant have persisted throughout Moscow's offensive in Ukraine, but they have been exacerbated by the destruction of the dam that provided cooling water for the plant. Not only that, it also suggests that Putin has no real red lines in terms of the chaos, destruction and pain that he is willing to inflict on Ukraine. It also suggests that rather than a tactical, strategic, military aim, such a terrorist action could be part of a new scorched earth policy on the part of Russia's leadership and its military. Now, many in the media and some of the useful idiots in the West have suggested that Putin would never trigger such a disaster because radiation knows no boundaries. This act would rebound upon Russians themselves. It would poison Russian troops. Radioactive clouds could drift across and poison crops in Western Russia. And even further than that. But I think Putin's actions show that he has scant regard for life, he has no real regard for his own citizens, and it seems that no price in terms of blood or destruction is too high for him as part of his real objective, which is to ensure the survival of his regime. And it must be remembered as well that when Russian troops occupied the exclusion zone around the Chernobyl nuclear plant, around the Chernobyl nuclear plant, they dug trenches in the radioactive soil. And it's rumored that many hundreds, if not thousands, now have very serious radiation poisoning from that absolutely moronic act. Well, let's move on to another couple of stories, and then we will end this episode with a dive into Clown World, which continues to spiral to ever greater depths of absurdity. But another story which I think is interesting, and that is the Reconstruction Conference that took place in London this week. Now, if you're following the war closely, if you're following some of the leading Ukrainian commentators on platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter, you can't fail but to have seen this event taking place. And it is deemed to be actually a huge success with a lot of influential decision makers, business people coming from all over the world to take part. We may well cover that in an interview on the channel uh, with people who've actually attended and know some of the details. But the story I wanted to bring your attention to here is actually taken from The Independent, and it is about Britain backing a fast-track NATO membership for Ukraine. We have seen Ukraine evolve quickly, says James Cleverly. And without doubt, Ukrainian civil society, government and resilience have been spurred on by the war rather than set back by it. Britain will fast-track Ukraine's NATO membership as momentum builds amongst Western allies to significantly change their stance over Kyiv's attempts to join the alliance. Now, without going into all the detail of this, we know that it does take a long time for countries to align themselves with NATO standards and to join the alliance. But it is absolutely crucial both for Ukrainian security and European security that at the end of this war, Ukraine becomes a full member and is fully integrated into the protective alliance. That will ensure Russia is deterred from further aggression. And if they try that aggression, then the response is absolutely clear. 
Article 5 and the annihilation of the Russian army. But it's also been said this week, in no uncertain terms, by both Republicans and Democrats in the US, that if Russia triggered a nuclear disaster on European soil, that this could be a provocation to NATO, it could trigger a NATO response, because radiation would not just be confined to Ukrainian territory, it would have a serious impact on European agriculture and the stability of Europe's economy. And it's interesting that American politicians, after being relatively reserved through this war and not wanting to in inverted commas, provoke Putin and Russia, and now trying to lay down very clear red lines to prevent Russia from further escalation and making it clear what the consequences of that should be. And I think that's the right thing to do. We can't wait until Ukraine joins NATO in order to create protections for Ukraine. That can help to both make it more resilient, help it resist Russian aggression, and deter some of the most terroristic actions that Russia could potentially adopt. Now, we just have a couple of stories to go, and there are two stories in the Moscow Times, which I'm going to link together because I think it is uh, quite an interesting development, and that is that Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan are to share data with Moscow on anti-war Russians and people fleeing conscription. And this is obviously a really bad sign for Russians who have fled the country, in order not to be conscripted into Putin's pointless war. Now, I'm not going to say these people are necessarily against the war theoretically. They are against their involvement of the war, and almost certainly there is a range of opinion about whether Russia is the right or wrong. All of these people are by no means liberals or oppositionists. However, in Russia, they are now being denounced as traitors to the motherland. So for countries where many of them have fled to, and may have assumed they're living in relative safety, away from the long arm of Putin's terror, this news will not be welcome. It may also mean that Russians who sought refuge in places like Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan may have to move on again to places which are slightly less toxic for them. But with Georgia pandering to the Russian regime, is it only a matter of time before they too start dishing the dirt on the Russians that are seeking shelter on their territory? Well, we'll post links to all of these stories in the description of the video. The last story I want to cover is a piece of good news, and that is that Owen Matthews, who's been a guest on this channel twice, has won the prestigious Pushkin Prize, the Pushkin House Book Prize, for his book last year, Overreach, The Inside Story of Putin's War Against Ukraine. It's an impressive piece of work. And Owen Matthews himself is an extremely compelling public speaker. I wasn't able to go to that event, but it would have been absolutely fascinating hearing him talk about his book and his analysis of the origins and future course of the war. I'm also going to post another link to an article that's on Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and that is an interview with Armando Iannucci, the extraordinary writer and director of TV and film, who's known for his biting political satires like Veep and The Thick of It. But also he created the extremely dark comedy 2017, The Death of Stalin, which lampoons the power struggles, intrigues and backstabbing following the death of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin in 1953. Now, that movie has been banned by the Russian authorities. And without going into too many details, I think they're probably afraid that people may see parallels in the dysfunctional and terroristic Politburo in the run-up to Stalin's death and following his death. They may 
see some uncomfortable parallels with modern-day Russia and its chaotic, vindictive, nasty, greedy, kleptocratic leadership. I think almost everyone who supports Ukraine will be looking forward to a future version of the film, Death of Putin. And lastly, Clown World, which this week reached depths of absurdity just when you thought that barrel had been scraped right to the bottom, they find a whole other layer of absurdity and unpleasantness. This week, top Russian propagandist Vladimir Solovyov apparently had a crying fit about the state of the war. As it's been pointed out, it's more likely he is crying because he can't get to his Italian villa and his luxury properties abroad. Apparently, his tears were for the Russian troops who are dying in the noble struggle, but rather than proposing rescuing them by withdrawing Russian forces from the territory of Ukraine, as usual, he demanded further escalation. He also claimed that this war was entirely started by NATO rather than by Russia's aggressive leadership seeking to reinstate the Russian Empire. And he also labelled it an inter-Slavic war, suggesting that actually the West has managed to poison the Western Slavs, the Ukrainians, against Russia, who are naturally their brothers and share the same culture and blah, 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 blah. Now, this again just could be seen as propagandistic fluff. But actually, I think it's deeper than that. Here we are seeing a deep projection because we know that this is what Russia does. It takes over territories. It poisons people's minds. It turns them into soldiers who it then throws at neighboring territories. It's done that throughout its history over centuries. And more recently, it's done that with Chechnya, where it overwhelmed that country and raised its capital city to the ground in two wars. And now we see it has turned Chechens against its neighbors, poisoning the minds of people almost from birth and turning them into soldiers for its imperial cause. It's maybe no coincidence that it thinks that that's how the rest of the world operates and that in effect Solovyov is accusing NATO of doing the same with Ukraine. And that fully denies Ukraine any agency, any identity, any scope for freedom and independence. It also seems to contradict some of the crazier assertions that have been made recently. For instance, Russian propagandist and professor of communications, Dmitry Estafiev, asserted that Ukrainians don't feel any pain, that they are like the dead. And so the Russian army is fighting against the undead. But again, we know if there's a zombie army fighting, then it's Prigozhin's army of criminal conscripts in Bakhmut that were thrown as waves of human meat against the front line. And let's tie up this look at Clan World with one of the first stories we covered and the last one, because Prigozhin is clearly trying to carve for himself out a new political role. He's going beyond, I think, what the script that the Kremlin gives him actually allows him to say. And he's now denouncing the war as pointless. And another thing he pointed out in that rant is that if 10 Russian soldiers are dying when actually an efficient fighting policy would mean that only one would die, he's going even further than that. And he says that their bodies were abandoned just like meat, that no value was placed on their lives or the worth of their personalities or existence. And when they died, their bodies were not treated in humane fashion. They were not even treated as humans. So we have this extraordinary contrast between the lies of the propagandists, the fictions 
that so many Russians seem to believe, especially those in the provinces, those who fed not on internet news, but on state media. We have such an extraordinary contrast between those propagandistic messages and what Prigozhin is now saying. How would all this work out? Well, I think at this stage, it's impossible to predict. But do subscribe to Silicon Curtain so that you can follow us as this extraordinary chaos and tragedy unfolds.